Well, welcome today to worship everyone at all of our locations as we come together as a, as a church family at numerous places around the Capital District. You know, the Bible regularly encourages us to be faithful even unto death. But what are those final years supposed to look like? Billy Graham wrote a book some time ago called Nearing Home, Life, Faith, and Finishing Well. And he begins that book with this paragraph. I never thought I would live to be this old. Now, he's 96 right now. He'll be 97 in November. He says, all my life I was taught how to die as a Christian, but no one ever taught me how I ought to live in the years before I died. I wish they had, because I'm an old man now, and believe me, it's not easy. Now, that coincides with what many elderly people through the years at Grace have told me. They say, Pastor Rex, it's just not easy getting old. There's all kinds of books and articles and programs out there instructing us how to get ready financially for the retirement years, but... There's very little direction about how to be prepared spiritually in that winter season of life. Now, we've got a lot of super senior saints at Grace, and they uh, help us uh, with wisdom. They help us stay on track. They intercede and pray. Many of them are actively involved in ministry and leading small groups and ministries and and, uh, in counseling ministry and so on. But I don't personally know of anyone who is as old as Billy Graham. But here's the thing. We're all on the same journey, right? Is there anybody here who looks in the mirror every day and doesn't see some evidence occasionally that you're growing a little older? If there is anyone, you may be living a pipe dream, all right? I'm 54. I feel awesome. I feel so young and vibrant. But I'm on that journey We're all maturing. And so as we wrap up this series today, we've been calling A Guide to the Good Life. We've talked about so many relevant topics in this series. And we've been looking at these special ingredients that go into the life that God blesses, the mature Christian life. I think there's no more appropriate topic, perhaps, than to wrap up today talking about how to grow old gracefully. Here's the question I'm trying to speak to. How can we really live so that we don't become one of those crotchety, critical, curmudgeonly old people in the winter season? How can we make the final years of our life the most positive, the most influential years for Jesus Christ? How can we run this race so well that we finish victoriously, we finish with a flourish? Now, if you're younger today and there's so many young people at Grace, you may be sitting there thinking, dude, this isn't for me. What am I doing here? I am so young. I got so many, I am nowhere near the winter season. I'm just getting started. Good for you. God bless you. We've got so many people in that early season of life. But here's the thing. We're all on the same journey. 
And many of the principles you'll hear today apply to life no matter what your age. And the fact is, all of us, whether we're talking grandparents, parents, older siblings, aunts, uncles, supervisors, all of us have some people in our lives who are older. So let's learn together how we can grow old gracefully. Now, here's the game plan. We're going to look at what's become one of my favorite psalms. I memorized it years ago. It's one of those chapters that I go to every single week and review. And when I go through Psalm 90, I want to tell you, this is one of those psalms that God uses with me now just to dig deep in my soul, to challenge me, comfort me, and bless me. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 90 together. If you have a Bible of your own, you might want to open it right there, and you can certainly follow along on the screens. Most people don't know this psalm very well. I don't hear a lot of people using it or quoting from it. There's a couple of verses that get a little press. Verse 10 says the number of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. That's where we get the the three score and seven thing, that, that 70 is about the average span. And it still is today. It's creeping up above that, thankfully, due to a lot of advances in medicine and technology. The other verse that people know a little bit about is verse 12, which says, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Awesome verses. But this psalm is loaded All 17 verses are power-packed, and we're going to walk through it together. One of the reasons I like this psalm so much is it's unique. If you've studied the Psalter, those 150 chapters that we call the Psalms, you know that dozens of them were written by King David. (coughs) Many were written by the sons of Korah or by a few other authors, But one, only one, is attributed to Moses, and that's Psalm 90. Moses was uniquely qualified to speak to the issue that we're talking about today. Why was he uniquely qualified? Because he lived to be 120. He was called to a special assignment by God when he was already a senior citizen, 80 years old, Okay, And furthermore, after he was used by God to lead the, Egyptian, the Hebrew people out of Egyptian bondage, you remember that it was 40 years until they actually made it into the land. So here's what happened. They went in to spy out the land. As you may recall, there was a negative report by 10 of the spies. Only two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this by God's power. Only two of them had faith. And God said, because of your lack of faith, because of your lack of trust in me, the, lack, the fact that you didn't believe that the one who brought you out could actually take you in to the new promised land. Those 20 years and older are going to perish here in the wilderness. And so for the next 38 years or so, they wandered in the wilderness And for 38 years, nobody knows how many actually died, but scholars have estimated that perhaps it was a million, 200,000 people who perished there in the wilderness before that generation had, other than Caleb and Joshua, had completely died off. Now think about how many funerals that is for Moses. Wow. 
If that number is correct, 1,200,000, that means there were 86 deaths per day for 38 years on average. 86 a day. That means there were 3.6 deaths per hour, 24-7, for 38 years in a row. Moses' life was one persistent funeral dirge. I think he's uniquely poised to speak to us about this issue of growing old gracefully. So let's jump in. Psalm 90, verse 1, begins like this. Lord, You've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses is speaking there to the constancy of God. He had certainly seen a lot of change in his life, but he's saying God has been the one constant factor from everlasting to everlasting. God has been in my life every step of the way. Think about it. When Moses' mother tucked him as an infant into that little basket that had been waterproofed with pitch and tar and launched him into the Nile River where he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, God was with him. God was with him in the palace when he was learning the protocol of the palace and how to be a leader. God was with him even during that horrible season where he killed the Egyptian taskmaster and had to run for his life. God was with him even then. God was with him in the land of Midian when he tended sheep on the backside of nowhere. God was with him. God was with him when he appeared to him in a burning bush and said, Moses, this is holy ground. You better take off your shoes. And God was with him when he led him back to Egypt with a mighty arm, and through miracles and power led his people out. When their backs were against the Red Sea, God was with Moses and led them through on dry ground. And God was certainly with Moses during all those years in the wilderness. And here's God's message to you today, whatever your age. If you are following him, if you are loving God, here's what he says to you and me. Everything in your life, I'm going to weave it together for a purpose if you love me. That's what he did with Moses. And in spite of how many changes are going on around you, I'm going to be the constant rock. I'm going to be the unchanging factor in an ever-changing world. That's why Moses said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. Throughout all generations, from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. I like the way the message paraphrases that. It says, from once upon a time to kingdom come, you are God. Now, here's why that's so important as you're getting older. Most older people, their heads are spinning with all the changes in the world. Do you agree with that? They shake their heads and marvel about all the changes they've seen in their lifetime. Think about our own generation. Computer technology has probably brought us into more changes in one generation than perhaps any generation who has ever lived. And many elderly people I know are struggling and maybe hesitant to use technology. I I have one friend who says, "I, I, I finally got a smartphone, but I had to get my grandkids to show me how to work it. They had had phones for a long time. 
I got a computer, but I, I had to get these young people to show me how because it's their first language. It's a second language for me. I didn't grow up with that. We've seen a lot of changes in our country in our lifetime. We've seen changes in morality, things that used to be considered morally reprobate when I was a boy are now being flaunted, accepted, promoted. Political correctness seems to have trumped common sense. We can hardly recognize our own country anymore. And I hear many older people talking about that and it feels so unsettling. What's going on? What's it all coming to? And these things can make you feel insecure. But perhaps the one thing, the most unsettling change is the one that every generation faces, and that is when the people around us die, that really creates insecurity. My father-in-law is a wonderful Christian man. Chuck Richardson is his name. And just uh, several years ago, he had one of the strongest group of friends I've ever seen anybody have. I mean, a group of dynamic Christian men. Boy, they would get together and have breakfast together and talk about the Lord and study the Bible and talk about their lives together. They were there for one another. When somebody got sick, the others were there. It's amazing what a fellowship of brothers they had. But through the years, I've watched, sadly, as one by one of those strong, godly men has passed away. Just a few days ago, Elmer Cardinelli, one of his dearest friends, passed away. There's only one guy in that original group left. Fred Johnson. It's just him and Chuck now of all those original guys they started with. And when the patriarchs and matriarchs in the church who provided wisdom and stability are beginning to pass away, when the people you look to for guidance and stability are gone, you can feel like an orphan. And some of you know exactly what that feels like. Moses mentions here in verse 3 and following, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it's dry and withered. What's he talking about? The brevity of life. When Billy Graham was interviewed by Larry King, Larry asked him, is there anything that surprised you about your life, Billy? Without hesitation, Graham said, yes, it's brevity. It has passed so quickly. But there's one constant, this psalm says, that never changes. God is there. God is your security. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change like shifting shadows, the Bible says. And that truth becomes an anchor for our soul when we're going into the winter season. Hebrews 6 reads, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. A Samaritan's purse worker a couple of years ago when they'd experienced those tragic fires in Yarnell, Arizona. They'd wiped out scores of homes. One of the rapid response workers tells of an older woman who stood outside the ashes of what used to be her home. And she heard the dear woman mutter, I've lost everything. 
everything. And then she kind of smiled and said, but I still have my Jesus. And there may, there may come a day when everything and virtually everyone that you hold dear is no longer there, but you always have him. That's why God said in Isaiah 46, even to your old age and gray's hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. So I wanna share four declarations with you today. Here's the first one. Here's the first one. My ultimate security is in God. You may wanna jot these down. I'm gonna ask our projection team to maybe keep these up just a few moments longer since they're not already in your notes. Maybe you'll wanna jot some of these down. My ultimate security is in God. Therefore, I will be flexible and unthreatened by a rapidly changing world. So many things changing. God never changes. How many changes have you seen in your life? Now, some of you may have trouble believing this since I'm such a young whippersnapper, but I did grow up deep in the country down south, and some of you honestly know what outhouses are. You know what an outhouse is? For those of you who have no clue what an outhouse is, it's like a porta potty, except it's permanent. Okay, are you with me here? It's kind of like a porta potty, but it's permanent. A truck doesn't come and pick it up and carry it away. It stays there in so many homes out in the wilderness, out in the country, have these things called outhouses. We got indoor plumbing for the first time about the time I was born, okay? Around 1960, 61. This is the truth, folks. I'm sharing family secrets here. My dad never used the indoor plumbing in the bathroom. He never went to the bathroom inside. He felt there's some things you just don't do inside the house. And going to the bathroom is one of them. All right, you can't make this stuff up. No, there's an outhouse that you, 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 go, you go outside. Do you know what a party line is? We first got a telephone in the early 70s. You didn't have a private line. There were party lines. There were six or seven people on the road that were on the phone with you. And you'd pick up the phone wanting to make a call and somebody would be on there talking. And so you'd have to put it back down. If it was an emergency, you might be bold enough to say, hey, I'm sorry, but this is a real emergency. And people would pick up the phone and listen to you. Remember that? They'd listen to your private conversations, and you knew it. You could hear it when they picked up the phone. I am so glad some things change, aren't you? I don't want to go back to outhouses and party lines and ice boxes. And I know some old people who are not very open to changes, but we've got to be open and flexible. We've got to be open and flexible. Psalm 46 reads, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And then verse six reads, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, but the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, young people, before I leave this quickly, let me just say a quick word to you. If we don't get all excited as older people about every change that comes along, please understand we've been around long enough to know that not all change is positive. And some things are just silly, like 
new Coke. Not a good thing. Not, not a good idea. Okay, we've been around long enough to see it. Leisure suits. That was a bad idea. The Gremlin automobile. Bad idea. All right? Some things are not great ideas. Powdered milk. I mean, come on. We know that not all change is good, but not all tradition is bad either. And so let's be wise enough to recognize that. Let's read on. Verse 7 says, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. What? Moses just said that God was his security, and then he turns around and says, we're terrified by your indignation. What's going on here? Well, he explains it a little bit in the next verse. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. What's happening? Moses was looking back over his own life and realizing I've made a lot of mistakes. Even my secret sins are being totally exposed in the light of God's presence. And remember, he was seeing people who were actually reaping the consequences of what they had sown. As Moses thought about his own life, he no doubt remembered the time he killed the Egyptian overlord and buried his body in the sand. The next day, he discovered his homicide was the talk of the construction site. His secret sin was known, and God knew it all. Moses probably battled that character flaw of anger all of his life, smashing those Ten Commandment tablets at the bottom of Sinai, Sinai when he was angry about what the people were doing, or flailing away at the rock when he was angry with them again later, when God had told him just to speak to the rock. And Moses had seen the wrath of God exercised against disobedience over and over again. You remember when his sister Miriam criticized him for marrying a darker-skinned woman? God actually struck her with leprosy temporarily. Or you remember when Korah and his critical cronies uh, tried to undermine Moses' leadership? God opened up the earth and swallowed them up in a giant sinkhole. That's why Moses says in verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? Boy, Moses had seen it. For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So, So here's the application. You know, the older we get, the more clearly, the more conscious we ought to be of our own frailties, mistakes, and our own sins. When I meet people who think they've just got it all together and boy, they really uh, don't have any problems, don't don't have any sins, they, they don't fall short, I think, man, you just need to do a little living. You you just need a little more awareness because people who are more mature and a little closer to God understand that it's not a comparison to other people. You can always come out feeling okay if you do that, if you find the right people to compare to. No, mature followers of God compare to the holiness of God. When you do that, you realize you're sinful. You know, I'm 54, And if you'd asked me 30 years ago as a young follower of Christ, full of vim and vigor and energy, 
passion. What will your life be like spiritually when you're 54? You know what? I would have thought I was a lot closer to God than I am today. I would have thought that I was pretty sin-free, you know, just kind of Teflon when it comes to sin. But here's what we've got to understand, that even though our sins are many, we're covered by the grace of Almighty God. Yes, it's sobering to think of standing before God in judgment one day, and we're closer than we've ever been to that, but we're covered by the grace of God. And so Moses pleads in verses 13 and 14, relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Please don't miss this point. The message of the Old Testament is we have broken God's laws and we stand in line for his punishment. That's justice. But the message of the New Testament is Christ has paid the complete penalty of our sin and we are forgiven and that is amazing grace. And that's what we're immersed in. So here's my second big declaration. My sins are many, but they are forgiven. Therefore, I will not fear judgment. Listen, can you say that today? Although my sins are many, I will not fear judgment because they are forgiven by the amazing grace of God. Here's the reason I stress that. I have met so many elderly people in that final season of life who literally, literally lived in fear of death because they were fearful of the judgment of God. And when you probe a little bit, you say, well, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe he rose again? Do you believe that, that he is changing you from the inside out? Have you trusted in what he did for? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Then that kind of love ought to cast out fear. We ought to understand that we stand under the amazing grace of God. One of our dear saints years ago who passed away was Marge Grant. A few of you knew her. And toward the end, just in the final hours of life, as her family lovingly stood around and watched her, she reached out at one point with her arms like this as though she were hugging someone and having a reunion with someone. And it inspired the whole family. And it was moments after that sort of embrace that she breathed her last. Boy, that's facing death with confidence. That's not fearing Verse 10 reads, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Because life is so brief here, the teachable teens, the tender 20s, the tireless 30s, the fiery 40s, the forceful 50s, the saintly 60s, the serious 70s, the aching 80s, the nagging 90s, shortening breath, death, the sod, God. Because that is true, we ought to number our days aright. Verse 12 reads, teach us, Lord, teach us 
to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, teach us because of the brevity of life to make the most of every day for you, to make it significant. It's amazing how many older people make foolish decisions when they ought to have so much wisdom. Do you remember years ago, J. Howard Marshall? Remember that rich old man? I mean, he was a tycoon. Rich old guy worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He married the bubble-headed blonde Anna Nicole Smith. Remember that? J. Howard Marshall was 89 years old. She was 26. She said she wasn't marrying him for his money. Right, right. There's an old saying goes back to the 1600s, there's no fool like an old fool. And tragically, instead of living with wisdom, in the winter season, many aging people make foolish, horrendous decisions. Moses says, Lord, teach us to number our days right. That we may have a heart of wisdom. So we'll make some wise choices Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. So here's my third declaration. My life is brief, therefore I will rejoice and make the most of every day. In my Bible, I circled the words joy and glad there. My life is brief, I'm gonna rejoice and make the most of every day. I challenge you, dear friend, to make up your mind not to become a complaining, critical old geezer who's always pining for yesterday. Nobody wants to be around that person. Hear me. My name is Rex. I'm your friend. I'm trying to help. Nobody wants to be around that person. Because my life is brief, I'm going to celebrate and make the most of every day. Don't whine, oh, I used to be able to hit the ball so far. Oh, I used to be so slim and beautiful. Those were the good old days. Well, guess what? They're gone. They're gone. They ain't coming back. Celebrate today. Move on with God into the future. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. Boy, Moses had seen a lot of trouble in his day, and he was still living it, even as this was written. But he says, God, would you just bring joy and gladness into our lives right right along with the sorrow that you allow Now, let me say another quick word to those of you who are a bit younger. And boy, our church has an amazing spectrum of ages, and I'm thankful for that. That, that, That's a healthy church to me that has the the senior saints and and the, the young people who are following Christ as well with passion. Here's my challenge to you, younger people. Would you include some older people in your circle of friends? You know what I read in the Bible? I read a picture in Titus 2 that the old are to be mingling with the young and the young with the old. I read that the older ought to be mentoring the younger, but they can't mentor you if you're so insecure you don't give them the time of day. 
And they can't mentor you if you're so arrogant that you think you don't have any, they don't have anything to teach you. And I find that that's where it stalls. That's where the disconnect happens. Every time I, I bring that up in a, in a setting anywhere, it always kind of disconnects right there. So many younger people don't feel the elderly have anything to teach them. Leviticus 19.32, rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere the Lord your God. Listen, you may know a whole lot about, more about computer technology than your grandmother, but I'll guarantee you she knows a lot more about life than you do. Maybe you ought to just sit and listen. Ask some good questions. Wow. Just spend some time. Job 12 reads, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? So try to make some older people. One of the things I'm most grateful for through the years here is that we've, Debbie and I have been privileged to have dear friends from every end of the spectrum age-wise. But interestingly, I think a lot of the wisdom God has allowed us to get is because most of our friends, most of them, have been older than us. They've been down the road ahead of us. And we learn so much from watching the way they parent, the way they handle finances, the way they steward their lives through tragedy, the way they live married life together, and the way they serve the Lord. We have just tried to learn all we can. Verse 16 reads, May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Here's what I'm amazed by. When I read the Bible, I'm absolutely shocked at the awesome things that God did through people that we would have already dismissed as too old. Think about some of them. I just wrote a few down. Moses is one example who wrote this psalm. Sarah was 90 when God entrusted a baby to her. Caleb was 85 when he led a battle into the hill country. Barzillai was 80 when he fed and gave shelter to the fleeing King David. Zechariah protested that he was an old man when God told him through the angel Gabriel he was going to be the father of John the Baptist. Anna was 84 when she held the baby Jesus in her arms in the temple and identified him as the Messiah. And the apostle John, my goodness, we're going to study his book of Revelation, by the way, just starting in a few weeks. He was probably well over 90 when he wrote that book that we're going to dive into. God has done awesome things and continues to through those who are older. Here's my final declaration and application. My contribution still matters. My contribution still matters. Therefore, I will stay focused on what is vital. I heard several days ago about the plight of former President Jimmy Carter. No doubt many of you have heard that. He's 90 years old and battling cancer. It has spread in his body and, and he has such a positive attitude. 
He wants to beat that cancer at the age of 90. He's determined to do whatever he can do to cooperate. But why? Why doesn't he just want to go on and get out? He's a wonderful Christian man. He's lived a life far beyond the scope of what most people could even dream. Why not just be glad to go? No, I, love, I respect this man so much. He says, look, I've got so many service projects I still want to do. And I still want to teach my Sunday school class at his church in Plains, Georgia. Folks, that's growing old gracefully. That's finishing well. As I close, let me share. One of the most inspirational people that I've ever met in this church was a man that many of you knew, may remember. His name was Bill Romer. Bill lived to be 80 years old. He served in so many ways as a leader. He led small groups constantly. He was a Bible study leader. He served as an elder for a period of time. He was so full of life, and he just loved the Lord. Jesus was everything to Bill. He lived it 24-7. He just loved the Lord. And that's why young and old alike loved to be around him. I mean, he wasn't pining about the past. He was looking toward the future and what God... When he was 80 years old, he started studying Koine Greek. That's the language of the New Testament because he wanted to understand God's word better. What an amazing man. I mean, and everybody loved him because he was so sacrificial and so giving. But in his final years, Bill had a number of medical issues. He was on medications. And in one visit to the doctor, his doctor was hardly able to tell him. He was so concerned. And he said, Bill, you've got a problem with a valve in your heart, and it's irreparable. The doctor said with a sad face, you've got about 24 hours to live. Do you know what Bill did? Bill put his hand on the doctor's shoulder and said, Doc, cheer up. I'm ready. And then, I kid you not, Bill Romer, as he often did, broke into song and began to sing about how exciting it was to see the Lord face to face. That's the way I want to be when I enter the winter season of life. By God's grace, we can grow old gracefully and make our last years the most impactful years of all. Father, help us to be that kind of people. Thank you for the testimony of Moses in Psalm 90. What a precious and powerful psalm this is. God, I pray that you would take these words and drive them supernaturally home to our hearts today. Help us, oh God, no matter what our age, to learn to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to live passionately for you every day, knowing, oh God, that our life and our times is in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.